Hi. Um, I'm going to have Joshua come up. Joshua and Leanne Dillon are back, by the way. Yay! And I asked Joshua if he would pray for me before I speak. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your provision. Thanks for the ways that you take care of us and are teaching us, are working in our lives, are waking us up to what you would say, to what you would have us do. Lord, would you make that so this evening over the next few minutes as Kim speaks? Would you open our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive what you would have to say? Lord, would we hear you well through this message? And would we learn to hear you well more and more from this message and as we move into the future that we could find ourselves standing in the midst of your communication, your love, your work. Lord, use the rest of this evening to accomplish that in our lives. And use Kim and teach her as well. Amen. It's kind of weird being here. I stood here yesterday um, to like kind of get a feel. What was this going to be like? And I was standing back there thinking, it's okay. Everybody's face is familiar that I'm going to look out at. So I really don't feel like we're not at home because you're all here, which makes me happy. So this morning, I mean, this evening, um, we're going to be keeping on trucking through Mark. We're in chapter 9. So we're over halfway, and we're going to be on the top of a mountain. So I'm wondering, have you ever been to the top of Evans or Pikes Peak? Those are the two you can almost drive to the top. So has anybody ever been there? Me too. Yay. Has anybody, hi- now this is, this is for the big one. Has anybody hiked to the top of a 14er? Yes. Um... So for those of you who have not, the view from a 14er is amazing. You can see, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think you could see hundreds of miles. I think you could see 100 miles in every direction, but I could be exaggerating. But you can see a long way. Range after range of mountains. Or for those of you who haven't seen that kind of view, maybe you've been to Red Rocks and you've seen that awesome view of Denver from Red Rocks. Maybe you've even been lucky on the 4th of July to be there, because that would be awesome. I love looking out at views like that because, sorry, I can't do this. Um, I love looking out at views like that because it reminds me when I look out that life is so much bigger than, than what I see. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed with my life and I need perspective and a reminder that there, there's a lot more going on than just what I can see. And so when I look out over perspective like that, it just helps.
to remind me of that. I've also had that happen on the 38th floor of the Grand Hyatt Hotel. There's an awesome bar on the 38th floor of the Grand Hyatt Hotel that Jim and I went to on one of our beginning dates. And we sat there. We could only afford one drink, (laughs) but it was worth that drink. And the view from those windows over the city, the lights were in full glory. It was just awesome. And I sat there and I told him about how I love that perspective because it puts perspective on my life. I'm really not that important. What I'm worried about is really kind of small compared to everything else. Because when I walk, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the city and I'm walking on the sidewalk, all I see is the road and the windows and the doors and the other people walking past me. And I forget that there's so much more out there. And I just appreciate that life is bigger and greater than I experience. I'm wondering, have you experienced that? Have you ever had that experience of standing on a mountaintop in awe of what you see because it is so much greater than your life? Well, I've also had this happen in a similar way with people. I've met them and thought of them like that, that um, you know, first impression they tell you in an interview, the first five seconds or whatever is the most important because somebody gets a first impression of you and that's what holds all the way through. Well, honestly, I've had this happen to me quite a bit. I mean, you tell somebody you're a pastor and immediately they either shut down and they don't want to talk to you anymore or they want to tell you their whole life story because they want to tell you about all the great things that God's doing in their life. And, oh my gosh, you won't believe this. Oh my gosh, you won't believe that. I don't, I don't always want to hear that stuff. (laughs) But then sometimes the people that turn away, I actually really want to talk to. So that first impression thing isn't always right. And I think we need, when we, when we meet people, we need that time to get to know people in a deeper way, to truly understand who they are before we make those assumptions. So it's things like this that give us perspective, like mountaintop vistas, 38 floor views of Denver, or deeply knowing people. It's good to have these experiences because they offer us a new perspective on life. They change our views, and sometimes I think in profound moments they even change us. Well, our passage today is about a new perspective that Jesus gives to three disciples, Peter, James, and John. It's a mountaintop view, a top floor perspective of who Jesus is. He opens their eyes in a new way. So if you have a Bible and you want to use it, turn to Mark 9. Otherwise, it's going to be up there. Can you guys see that? Okay, good. Um... This should be the TNIV version, just so you know. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. 
His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, they, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. I apologize. I think I said we were going through 13. We're actually only going through 8. So we're done there. So, this is kind of a strange passage. Jesus is transfigured. I don't know about you, but when I first read it, I was like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I know that it means because right afterwards it says his clothes became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So in other words, they were glowing. So Jesus is glowing. Um, We were joking before that in the winter, maybe it would be like the underside of my arm. But I think it was even wider than that. So the word transfigured is metamorphon. Comes the, the root of metamorphosis comes from that. So it means to change into another form or image. It does not mean that they that Jesus was changed as a being. It means that he looked different. What they perceived was different than what they had perceived just before. So his clothes were white. Um, In another account of the transfiguration, I can't remember whether it was Matthew or Luke, but it says that his face was radiant, that it was glowing. So that's a little bit about what it might have looked like. In terms of what it means, the same word metamorphon is also used in Romans 12.2, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same thing. Remember Jackie's testimony, I don't know, maybe a month ago now? Is it a month ago? Something like that? Um, we recognize the change in her, a transformation. And... She was different. She was transformed. It wasn't that she's a different person. It's that Jesus changed her. But we all experience that. We all experience an amount of transformation. We may not glow unless you have really white arms. But um, Jesus was transfigured in a way that was different than anything else. This gave Peter, James, and John... Which, by the way, I have abbreviated in my notes, and I just have to tell you because I'm getting a kick out of it. It's PJ and J. And I just think that's funny because it reminds me of PB and J. So every time I look at the notes, I think of peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to tell you that because it's amusing me. Um, it's, so the transfiguration gives PB, PJ and J. Now I'm going to say PB and J. <laughs> gives them a glimpse into Jesus' divine glory. Gives them well, we know now it gives them a glimpse of the resurrection. 
what to hope for. Okay, so verse 4, a little bit further down. Elijah and Moses are there. Okay, wait. Two dead guys just show up on the mountain. Jesus is glowing, and there's two dead guys. What's happening, you say? What if I said I don't really know? (laughs) I know a little bit, so I'll tell you what I do know. Um, They were two prominent figures in the Old Testament. So Moses, we know a lot about in in, uh, Exodus, and he got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And he, and he also went up to Mount Sinai and God talked to him a lot up there and gave him basically prophecy for Israel. It was how God was communicating to Israel was through Moses. So Moses was a really important guy. Elijah was also important. He was a prophet. And he also, later on in the history, gave Israel word from God. But why are these two guys here? Well, if we read in the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, which most people believe was finished, I think, about 400 years before Jesus, it says in Malachi 4, I need my glasses, 4-4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb. Horeb is another uh, word that was used for Mount Sinai. So basically he's saying, remember what I gave Moses on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord coming. So basically the The Israelites were told the very last thing. I mean, there's only one more verse after what I read. The very last thing that God told them was, look out for Elijah and pay attention to Moses. So here they are on the mountain. Basically, this is supposed to get Peter, James, and John's attention to go, something really important is happening here. So I have to believe that seeing this happen would have been pretty scary. And Jesus dazzling white, two dead guys showing up. Peter is freaking out. He goes, I don't know what to do. You know what we used to do when God showed up? We built tabernacles. Let's build tabernacles. Because in different translations, the word shelter is translated tabernacle. It's translated tent. So I didn't look up what the word meant. Oops. But get the basic idea that Peter is like, let's build something because God is obviously doing something here right now. So in his defense, he's being really reverent and acknowledging that he gets that Moses and Elijah there and Jesus shining is a really big deal. But he's really freaked out at the same time. Now, if this weren't crazy enough, a cloud descends on the top of the mountain, and the cloud speaks. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That's how I imagine it. I would pay attention. Now, 
it's significant that a cloud descends the mountain. For those of you who have read your Bibles a lot, you know that a cloud descending on the top of a mountain is not new. In Exodus 24, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And then Exodus 34, 29 and 30, it says, When Moses came down from Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, which, which he received up there, in his hands he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. So basically, Jesus' face is radiant, and there's a cloud on the top of the mountain. This has happened before to Moses. Now, obviously, Jesus is being set apart here by God. He says, this is my son. Elijah and Moses are still there. This is how I see it. Elijah and Moses were kind of like appetizers, crackers and cheese before Jesus. Jesus is like the meal. Jesus is the meat and potatoes. Or for vegetarians, he's the tofu and green beans. Jesus is greater than Moses, who was the mouthpiece for the Israelites, Elijah, who brought messages to the Israelites, He's greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than everything else that has come before him because he is the Messiah. I think that this is a mountaintop experience for Peter, James, and John. Like one of those views from the top of a 14er where they go, oh, I get it. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. What they said was important it was sustenance as we waited for the Messiah. But here is the Messiah. Now, the last thing in this passage, it says, Suddenly they looked around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So Moses and Elijah disappeared when the cloud lifted. And Jesus remained. Jesus was the one who stayed. And God said, listen to him. So this is the last thing that happens on the top of the mountain before the disciples descend into the valley. And descending is not a small thing because we know what's to come. We know that descending the mountain is basically the road to the cross that there's a lot of suffering and a lot of rejection and a lot of confusion and misunderstanding that Jesus and his disciples are facing. And so the message that they received on the mountain is significant. Not only is Jesus the Messiah, not only is he what they have been waiting for, but he remains with them and he goes down the hill with them. He could have just been taken up like Elijah and Moses. See ya. Could have avoided the valley, but he's not. 
he doesn't abandon them. He goes down with them, and he remains with them. I think this is quite a Messiah, a Messiah that remains with us. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, or PB and J, had quite an experience. The only thing I could equate it to was when I was at camp, when I was at 13, and I had one of those experiences where God, he didn't talk to me, but I just had an emotional breakthrough and knew that God was real and that Jesus was the Messiah, and I wept. And I felt God's presence. Have you felt God's presence? It's powerful if you have. But it doesn't stay. At some point, that feeling fades. If you haven't felt it, it could be like falling in love. And it stays like that for a while. And eventually, you start realizing that person does annoying things. And the feeling fades. Life seems to drift back to normal. And you kind of wonder, did I really experience that? Was that a dream? Did it really happen? Did I imagine that? The transfiguration... It's like that. It's a display of God's glory, that Jesus is God. See, Jesus goes from being dazzling white, and he returns to normal. I bet his tunic got brown again, and he got that Mediterranean olive skin again, and that big furry beard. Have any of you seen the picture on the back of the wallet scum (laughs) in the frame? Kind of reminds me of that. I bet, he, I bet he returned to that. Because the disciples weren't afraid of him anymore. Sometimes his presence seems unextraordinary. Just a normal guy in a brown tunic. Probably dirty feet. An unextraordinary Messiah descending the hill into the valley. But, oh, isn't that in and of itself extraordinary? That the Messiah would make himself ordinary to walk with us? So what does this mean? What is it for your life? Where are you coming down the mountain? Or maybe you've been face down in the valley for a long time. There's a verse in Lamentations. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it quickly. Made me think of this. (laughs) I can't even remember where it is. It's after Jeremiah, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to find it because now I made myself nervous. Um... It says something to the effect of my face is in the dust. Does anyone remember what that is? 
Well, anyways, it's chapter 3 of Lamentations. So if you find it, read it. It's a good passage. And it talks about your face being in the dust. It's like a description of being in the valley. And being there kind of for a long time. Loneliness, confusion, frustration, anger. My guess is that would make me depressed. I've felt those things before. Our circumstances... The quantity of pain and heartache, suffering, and even death is not a paradox for the Messiah. The the amount of those things does not determine whether or not Jesus is really with you or not. Because Jesus got normal again and he walked with them. I kind of, I want to make sure that we hear that. Because Our amount of pain can be like that 14er. But that doesn't mean the Messiah isn't with us. Because Jesus came down the mountain into the valley with us. There is a man that I have admired for a long time. And I'm going to tell you a story about him. His name is Brother Yun. Has anybody read the book, The Heavenly Man? I had to read it for seminary. But it really wasn't a seminary-like book. Um, It was a story that was about a man who was born in China. I think in the 70s, maybe the late 60s. Well, Brother Yun, his mother was a Christian, and she had lived without fellowship or without a Bible for a long time and was pretty bitter towards God. And in 1974, her husband got cancer. This is Brother Yun's um, father. He got cancer. And basically, if he would have died, the family would have been destitute. They would have had nothing. So they were praying. And, well, she was praying because she believed in Jesus. The rest of the family did not. She was praying and laying in bed one night, and she heard a voice say, Jesus loves you. And immediately, she was convicted of how much she had been angry at God and not believing that God would do something. And she got up the next morning and said to her family, we need to pray for healing. And she told them about Jesus, which you need to understand was a really big deal, and they could have all been killed for it because of communist China. Well, the family gathered around, and they all prayed, And the next morning, Brother Yun's father was on the mend. And everyone in the family believed. He was 16 at the time, and the family didn't have a Bible. And he asked his mother, who is Jesus? Who is this guy that that we're praying to? And she said, Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for us, taking away all our sins and sickness. He recorded all of his teachings in the Bible. And immediately, Brother Yan was like, how do I get a Bible? Well, there were no Bibles. The only Bible his mom knew about was in a village a journey away. I don't know how long it was, but it was a long one because they, like, packed bags and stuff for it. So they went to this guy that had the Bible. And they said, can we have your Bible? And he said, no, and I won't even show it to you because I'm so afraid they're going to come and take me away. 
or kill me. He said, the Bible is a heavenly book. And if you want one, pray for one and God will bring you one. I would be really discouraged at this point if I was him. Well, whether he was discouraged or not, he fasted and prayed for a hundred days. He ate one bowl of rice every day and that's it. And he prayed for a Bible for 100 days. So let's see, that's three months, basically. Three months later, a knock on the door. And two men handed him a Bible. And they said, three months ago, we we had a vision that we were supposed to bring this Bible to you. But we were so afraid that it took us three months to obey. But here you go. So, Brother Yun began memorizing scripture. And he didn't know how to preach, so what he would do is just open the, open the Bible and start reading. Or if he didn't have his Bible with him, he'd just start reciting any scripture he knew. I think that'd be really boring. But all these people started coming to Jesus because of this preaching. Well, eventually he was put in prison because of, because of the communist regime that was in power. And he got out, and then he was put in jail again. And he got out, and he was put in jail again. He spent seven years in prison. Now, this is where the listening part, listening to Jesus and Jesus remaining with us in the valley gets really important for Brother Yun. And I told you all of the previous stuff so that you would understand how hard it was for him to get a Bible, how much he valued it, the word of God, and how much he listened to God. Now, during his third imprisonment, Brother Yun heard God and it And another cellmate of his, who was Christian too, heard God as well. Same thing. You are to escape this maximum security prison. Okay. So on the morning of May 5th, he just started listening. And risking being shot to death, he obeyed this voice. And he just started walking. And he heard, I'm remembering this now, the, the stuff that I, I gave the book away and I, the stuff I found online to recall the story was, wasn't very detailed, but this is what I remember from what I read out of the book that he just started walking and the voice would say, turn now. And then he'd go, turn now, walk through that door. And he would just keep walking. He walked past prison guards who didn't see him. It was like they were blinded to him. The doors were just open. The gates were just open when he walked past them. he walked right out of the maximum security prison that no one had ever escaped from and no one to this day has ever escaped from since then. Today, basically, the Chinese government says this was a very embarrassing mishap and prison guards lost their jobs over it. So, the Chinese government doesn't usually, you know, admit to things, but basically we know that some people lost their jobs and he did get out. 
Today, he's exiled in Europe and is sharing the gospel message around the world, writing his story and continuing to share of what God's done for him. So I highly recommend his book, The Heavenly Man, because that's just part of his story. And I share this to you because he listened in a way that I have never understood. I've never had God go, walk, walk, turn, turn. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my gosh. But I need you to know too, this is when Brother Yun was in the valley. He heard, he listened. So when the feeling is gone, when the white has faded from Jesus and he's not dazzling anymore, does it mean that he's disappeared just like Moses and Elijah did? Not at all. It's just that we have to hear, we have to listen because he's there. So how does this apply here now? Because none of us are in a maximum security prison hoping to be released, nor are we on the top of a mountain watching Jesus be transfigured. Well, a lot of you already know that last Saturday, Jim MacArthur asked me to marry him. And that was on a mountaintop. It was awesome. And we're going to get married. (laughs) Um, I had a new perspective last Saturday than I did in all the Saturdays before that. That I'm going to live the life that I have left to live with the man that I love. And I'm super excited. And this is a mountaintop. But I'll tell you that coming down from that mountain happened pretty quick because, you see, he got a great job at Adams State in Alamosa, and he starts in three weeks. And we're getting married in November, and I'm going to go live with him when we're married, which means I'm going to leave, and that makes me really sad. I might even cry a little bit. Because I'll miss my community here. But that perspective changed my life. And as I reflect back on the passage about coming down the mountain, I have to remember that Jesus remains with me and with you. Just as he was with me in my engagement, and just as he has been with me at SCUM for all these years, I know that he remains here, and I know after I leave, and I know that he remains with me where I go. As a community of scum, I think we also experienced a mountaintop when we were blessed with our building two years ago. We purchased that building. It was really a gift. Because we were given the money for it outright. We don't owe a penny. After 10 years of being a church, almost 10 years, God gave us a building. What a gift. But now we come down the mountain 
or may, maybe it seems like that because we can't be there right now. It feels confusing. Why can't we meet in our home? Our gift from God. Feels a bit like coming down the mountain. So, we have to remember that Jesus is here. And that we need to listen to him. But we've already experienced his presence and his care for us. As his love fellowship Fran and I were talking, called it, he loves scum. (laughs) They've extended such a gift to us to be here. We didn't even have to skip a beat. What a blessing. So, you know, we really aren't that different than the disciples. We experience the same kinds of things not understanding, being freaked out, going, oh, let's build shelters. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. I would totally do that. Jesus revealed himself to them and gave them hope, and he reveals himself to us to give us hope. We see it in the word. We see it in this building, in the extension of community loving us when we are in need. Transfiguration, coming down from the transfiguration is where they were going into the valley to experience what could have been hopelessness. But because Jesus remained with them, it's not hopeless. And Jesus remains with us, and so therefore it's not hopeless. But what, was, what must we do? I think we have to go back. Oh, good, it's still there. To what God said, the cloud. He said two lines or three lines up from the bottom. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. We must listen. But listening is hard, isn't it? I mean, I sit down to go listen to God and... All that comes in my head is all the things I need to do that day, the three people I haven't called back, the four people I'm going to meet that day, all the things, the bills that are sitting over here that I have to figure out what to do with. I'm really worried about my dad because his asthma's kicking up and he hasn't been breathing well. All this stuff. Does that happen to you? I really like the term listening smartly. We need to listen smartly. Have a pad of paper with you so that when you're sitting down with God and all the thoughts come into your head about, okay, what am I supposed to do today? What am I worried about? What am I confused about? What am I pissed about? that you have something to write it down. It's like emptying your brain out onto a piece of paper. The other thing 
that I think keeps us from listening well is being exhausted. When I sit down for more than five minutes, it's really easy to fall asleep. I think a lot of us are tired. We don't sleep enough. But my suggestion is when you want to listen to God, to listen to him right when you wake up. I have started doing this, and I will caution you. (laughs) I've been waking up earlier and earlier. Um, It was like 6 and then 5. This morning it was 3.30. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I took a long nap, though, so it was okay. But it's good to listen to God when you're awake. I think sometimes we have bad experiences too. That we come to God and we're like, okay, I really need to hear from you. But we have bad experiences because God doesn't answer. So we go, fine. But I don't think that's probably the right answer. Because God, that well, that isn't going to help us hear him if I turn my hand to him and walk away. As I prepared for this sermon, it struck me that the timeline of a lot of things that we've talked about tonight, when we were in the Exodus passages, the cloud descended on Mount Sinai and was there for six days, and on the seventh is when God talked. I wonder if Moses was like, come on. Brother Yun prayed for a hundred days before he got an answer to his prayer. He fasted and prayed for a hundred days. So I'm wondering if we have the patience we need to wait for God's response. Practice and patience. Have a pad of paper. Pray when you're awake, not when you're exhausted. These are just some things that from my experience have been helpful in listening If we don't choose to try to listen smartly, how can we ever hear God like Brother Yun did to walk out of the prison? Well, we're going to do something maybe kind of uncomfortable. We're going to listen now. We're going to practice because I think that's what we need to do. For five minutes, mm, three Three. For three minutes. I think as a community, especially now, we need to be asking God, where does he want us to be? How should we be responding to the fact that we can't meet in our building? What about the things in our life, in our lives as individuals that are distracting, that are difficult? What do we need to hear This won't be perfect. Your mind will be distracted. It's okay. But it's good to practice, and it's good to practice together. So I will bring us back together in a few minutes. And in this time, remember that Jesus remains with you and that he wants you to listen.
So God, we come before you as this church, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear and the ability to listen to you speaking. Calm our minds. Open our minds and hearts to you. Help us to remember as we listen to breathe and to focus on who you are. God, thank you for being present with us. And we pray that you would remain with us. Amen. The last thing I want to leave you with is another way to listen. Um, reading scripture is a huge way that we can hear God and listen. So tonight, I brought all these over from the old building, and it's just the New Testament. Um, but if you don't have one, please come and get one. Or if you have one, and you're not very good at reading it, but maybe you should be better and you want to be better, you could take this one and it could be your 
commitment to listen better to Jesus. The cool thing about these Bibles is that they're written more like a story, and there's room to write and highlight, and you don't have to keep this nice if you don't want to. I like that because I'm a student. But So those are up here. If we run out, there's more in the back. Um, and seriously, I encourage you to consider taking one. Um, and I encourage you to read your scripture more. So I leave you with this, that Jesus remains with us. He walks through the valley with us. And we are to listen to him. So may he give us ears to hear. Amen.